Welcome to this week's message from Southland Church. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Stefan Dirksen, pastor of Four Winds Ministry. For more information about this message and other resources, visit myselfland.com. So let's talk about the message. Uh, this weekend, what I'm preaching on is actually 1 John. And Monday, I, I went into prayer. I wasn't totally sure what I was going to preach on. I uh, didn't have a lot of time to think about it beforehand. So uh, I went into prayer with my wife, Louise, and uh, I actually had a lot of excitement. I just thought, okay, Lord, there is so many things that I know you want to encourage your people with. You know, what is it that I get to present uh, this weekend? And he said, First John. So I was excited, and I figured, oh, First John. I mean, I love First John. He's spoken to me lots of First John since summer. Uh, but actually, First John has a special, you know, it has a special place in my heart for other reasons as well. Oh, is my clicker not going to work? All right, you're going to have to help me out. Oh, no, that is me. <laughs> See, it's all good. I like clickers. This is what I use every week, so I'm just used to it. Anyways, First John is a special place in my heart dating back 25 years ago. And 25 years ago, I had a crisis of faith. This is before I obviously walked away from the Lord. Many of you have heard that story before, uh, especially if you've gone to a set free and if you've been here for a, a, you know, a period of time. And uh, before that time, I, I remember I got to a place... Uh, as a young kid, where I was just, I was so afraid every night when I went to bed. Very afraid, full of fear, and uh, I actually didn't know, you know, am I actually saved? What if I died tonight? Would I actually go see Jesus? And uh, would I make it? Would I, would I make the cut? And I went to my dad and I asked him, Dad, you know, can you give me assurance of salvation? Can you, you know, can you convince me, essentially, is what I asked him, that I am actually saved because I'm terrified. And he's actually always been very good in these areas. Uh, he's always had wise answers. And he gave me the perfect answer. He said, son, I can't actually give you the assurance that you're looking for. I can't give it to you. Only Jesus can do that. And he said, but this is what I can do. I can give you some direction on what you should do. And he said, you should pray and ask Jesus to meet with you. And you should tell Jesus how you're feeling. And then go into your word, open it up. And he said, stay in there until Jesus gives you assurance of salvation. So I did that. I, we were in Tobermory, Ontario, and uh, in this little cabin we had rented, and there was a kind of a porch area where me and my brother were relegated to sleep. That was before they renovated it. Chris probably remembers. And I went in there. I remember pulling out my Burgundy NIV Bible. You know those old things? Does anyone have one of those? The Burgundy? There's a few? Oh, yeah, there's a, there was a few yesterday too, right? Still have mine. And I pulled it out. had my gold letter name on the front that my parents got put on there. And opened it up, and I opened it to First John. And it was in First John, as I began to read, that I really met with Jesus for the very first time. And I'd already given my life to him, but I hadn't experienced him in this way before. And I experienced him, and it was a wonderful thing, and I knew that I was saved. I knew it from that moment on. Obviously, I walked away and then had to come back. Uh, but, but that was, you know, that was my encounter in First John. And, and since then, many times when I've talked about, you know, people needing assurance of salvation, I've talked about going to First John. That was my experience. Uh, I've heard others say the same thing. Go to First John. You will, you will get a lot of teaching on how you can have assurance of salvation. But that's not what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, you guys are familiar with the now and not yet principle we talk about here at Southland. It's basically just saying there is the not yet, the eternal promises of Scripture, where, you know, for instance, things like uh, salvation is a not yet promise. We're in the process of being saved. We're not actually saved yet until we actually get to heaven. So we're in the process. It's the now, not yet. There's promises for now. There's things that we experience now, but we're still living in our broken condition. We still have a sin nature. There is many promises that were for the not yet. 
And what I was just referring to here is the part of 1 John where it's talking about the not yet. And I'm not going to focus on the not yet this morning. I'm going to focus on the other side of 1 John because I think actually the vast majority of what he's talking about is actually promises for the now. He's talking about what is Christian living supposed to look like now, what is victorious living supposed to look like now, and that's actually what I'm going to be focusing on here this morning. So I'm going to try to get as much through 1 John as possible. Originally, I thought I could get through two chapters, uh, which would totally beat out Chris. Um, I, I quickly realized I'm actually only going to get through 12 verses, which actually still beats out Chris. <laughs> Yesterday, I said, I'm pretty sure he would only get through two. <laughs> yeah. So, not that I'm counting again, but <laughs> he loves me. He'll get me back, and I'll pay for this, I'm sure. But anyways, how many Christians walk in this life now feeling no joy? Right? Maybe they have moments of happiness, but I'm talking about joy. I'm talking about when you open up your word, there is a joyful expectation that God is going to meet with you. Like, you actually feel it. Like, you get, you're excited. You sit down, you open that thing up, and there is something that happens inside because you're going to meet with the creator of the universe. You are excited to go there. Talk to many Christians that don't feel that way. I haven't even always felt that way. Or what about prayer? Prayer feels like a chore. It's just another thing that we have to do that we feel guilty for not doing. Right? And then we have others, you know, that walk around with this huge expectation of perfection. And we know on one hand, nobody's perfect. We all have a sin nature. We totally get that in theory. But somehow, somewhere along you know, the, the, the road here, we get to a spot where we think, yeah, but I've now been a Christian for fill in the blank, and grace and love obviously has run out because of my struggle here. And that's how we feel, right? And you see performance-based Christianity is one of the most common things that I talk to people about here on this earth, right? They just struggle. They struggle and struggle and struggle because they just can't live up to the expectation that, that they feel God is placing on them, even though they, they wrestle with it. They can give me the right answers, but they feel something different. And uh, you see so many Christians lost in bondage, sin, uh, feeling like nobody understands their struggle, whatever that might be. Nobody understands. My, my issue is different. And there's always a good reason why we can't share it with somebody, why we can't open up to somebody else about it, because we don't want to burden them. They won't understand. They'll reject me. They'll whatever. So we walk around in this life feeling alone, even though we might be in a big church. This is actually what John wanted to talk to you about in, in the whole book. In five chapters, he actually wants to talk about this. He says, guys, you actually don't have to live this way. The promise was for then, but he said, actually, the promise is for now. And that's what we're going to be focusing on uh, this morning. So bow your heads, I'm going to pray, and then we'll just jump straight into uh, reading the first four verses. Lord Jesus, regardless of where we're coming from, whether we're coming from being in a place where, Lord, even coming here this morning was hard because we feel like we can't even raise our hands in worship because of the things we struggle with. Lord, if we're coming from that side, or if we're coming from the side where we just feel like at least we're better than other people, we're not, our life isn't that bad, whatever it might be, Lord, today we want to approach your word with humility and we actually want to get to a place, Lord, where the simple truths of Scripture, where they become the dearest things in our lives. Would you open up your word to us this morning that we would realize the treasure, the pearl of great value that is right here before us this morning. So thank you for how you're going to minister to our hearts. Thank you for how you're going to minister even to me as I preach. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So let's start. Uh, here John's going to start with an intro, and in the intro he's just going to kind of set the stage. You know, it's not just pleasantries that he's going through. I actually think he's going to sell us on what the rest of the book is going to be about. 
And he starts with that, which, with that which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified and proclaimed to you eternal life, not yet, which was, the Father, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us through Jesus. So that is that whole side of right? eternal life. That is, that is the, a big part of the promise. That is the best gift we've ever received right there. That is. But that's not what we're going to be focusing on this morning because we're going to go to the next part here. He goes on to say, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Okay, so I just want to park on that just for a moment. I think right here John has now moved on. He's moving past the eternal life process. He's saying, okay, we've already experienced eternal life. We're already here together. We're, we are the church. We are believers but now John has experienced something else. Now he's talking about the now. John has experienced fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when you experience fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you experience a love and a joy and a peace that is, you cannot compare to anything else on this earth. And that's actually what John's talking about here. So he's now saying, okay, guys, you have to come here. You've got to come here and have fellowship with me because I have fellowship with him and I've got to show you something. And he goes on to say what this is all about. I'm writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, just so you don't get confused on the hour instead of your, you might think, shouldn't he have said your if it's for you guys? No, he's saying ours because he's assuming that we're all believers. Right? He's like, I am talking about something. It's an invitation, right? It's an invitation into true fellowship and joy. He's saying, I have experienced a fullness of joy, a fellowship with the Father, and if you come and have fellowship with me, I want to share with you how to get there. This is not just a promise for then, it's a promise for now. And I, I believe John, as he would have been writing this, would have had a similar personality to me. He probably would have been vibrating a little bit and just excited, right? This is the pearl of great value. He has stumbled upon something, and he is like, this joy that God has for me transcends my circumstances. I can be broken, I can be persecuted, I can be beaten, I can be all these things, and yet I can still have fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and fullness of joy and fellowship with other believers. He is excited about what he is going to talk to us about. Okay, so that's the first four verses there. It's an invitation into true fellowship and joy, and we're going to unpack how we get there now. So in the next five or in the next, you know, in five to seven, he's actually going to start to break down how we receive this, how we receive this invitation. So now there's parameters, right? There are, there are some parameters he wants to share with us. It's not just, we're not just talking about salvation here, believe and be saved. Now we're talking about how you have true fellowship and joy. So it's a little bit different, right? They kind of line together, but it's also a little bit different. So now we're going to go on to, uh, 1 John 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And I'll just pause on this just for a brief moment. Uh, I don't think this needs a lot of explanation other than it kind of sets up the next few verses on why sometimes we struggle with this passage. So here we, like I'm pretty sure most everyone in here, uh, unless you're not a believer, can agree on this. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So we would define that as, has he ever sinned? right? Has he ever been broken? No, he's not broken. He's, he's actually always full of joy, always full of peace, always full of love. He exists there always within the Godhead. It's an incredible thing. He is good all the time. That never changes. So we say God is light and we say he is holy. He is always holy. There is, not any, there is, there is no unholiness in him. He is purely righteous all the time, never changing. 
He's predictably good, isn't he? So we would agree, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. We have no problems with this verse. It's the next one where it starts to get a little bit difficult. And it says, if we say we have fellowship with him, that's what we all want, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice truth. And that's where we go from an invitation into true fellowship and joy to a spot where now our heart just sinks a little bit. Especially if you're here today and you've been struggling in an addiction or you've been struggling with brokenness or, relation or bondage or sin or a character issue, you fill in the blank. If you're someone here that has a hard time lifting your hands in worship because you see your brokenness, we, we look at this verse and it actually brings shame and condemnation. And here, John is trying to bring us into true fellowship and joy and here we are going in the wrong direction because of what, this, what does this mean? I can tell you of times years ago in my journal where this exact verse actually I used as I was going to Jesus confessing sin and saying, Lord, look at my actions. They prove I don't love you. And he said, I love you anyways, and you do love me. And I remember using this verse, going back to him and saying, no, look. Right? I say I have fellowship with you, but I walk in darkness. I used God's word to condemn myself. We do that sometimes as broken people, isn't it? Don't we? Okay? Let's move on here. So he's saying, if we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice truth, this can bring a lot of shame and condemnation because what does that mean? Are any of you here walking in sin? How can we actually do this next verse, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light? Has John just basically said the bar for actually receiving true fellowship and joy is at perfection? Is that what he's talking about? Because this is what he's saying. If we want to have true fellowship with God, and he's going to talk about with others soon, very shortly, and this fullness of joy, it actually comes from walking in the light as he is in the light. And we define God as walking in the light because he is sinless, he is righteous, he is holy, he is pure. So is John now saying the only way to receive a benefit now on this earth is to be sinless, pure, righteous, and holy? Because if it is, then, then, we, should all, then we would all feel condemned and shame. And you can see why I would bring this very verse to God and say, see, I don't actually live for you. And on one hand, we look at this and we say, well, he can't mean that because we know we're saved by grace and we know that all of us have sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. We understand that to a point. But yet, how much performance-based Christianity is in our church today? How much perfectionism exists within Christi- uh, Christians? How many Christians struggle with, you know, maybe they can, they can receive this, you know, they understand, well, there's a balance to this. So at some point, yeah, if I confess it once, I can understand I need forgiveness and twice and a third time and a fourth time. But what about the fifth? What about the hundredth? Like at some point, the perfectionism mentality, the performance-based Christianity mentality catches up and we say grace doesn't last forever. At some point, it runs out. At some point... We have to be able to admit we're not walking in the light as he is in the light. We're still sinners. We're still broken. And we cannot live up to this standard. So we feel isolated and alone. But is this exactly what Paul is, or sorry, John is talking about? Is he talking about perfection? I don't believe so. And I think he's going to explain this in the next few verses. It says here, we have fellowship. So if we walk in the light as he is in light. So now it's assuming that we are in the light as he is in light. This is what he says happens. We have fellowship with one another. So that's an important piece. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now I want you to notice something that's very, very important here for this point. Look at the process. I think it's very intentional, the order in which John writes this. 
right? He says, if you are walking in the light as he is in the light. So the assumption now is that you are walking with Jesus. You are in the light as he is in the light. He says, then you have true fellowship with one another. Then the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin. Do you see the order there? If performance-based Christianity, if it's about how we perform and our, and our being perfect and sinless and holy, if we have to be in the light in the same way that God is in the light, in that sense, then this next verse here doesn't actually make sense. Because if we were already in the light like he is in the light, by our standards, then he wouldn't have to cleanse us anymore from any sin. So three benefits of walking in the light that John points out here. The first one is fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, walking in the light as he is in the light, Okay. The second one here is fellowship with other believers. This is belonging. So that's one of the benefits. Do you know belonging, that this desire to belong? We, I've preached that before. We've talked about it lots here at Southland over the last three years. Um, but this is something I think we're actually getting better at. But still, I hear people that go into cell and feel completely alone. Still. I talk to people that come here and they're engaged. They volunteer. They're in cell. They're, they're engaged in church. And yet they feel like nobody understands them. They actually don't feel like they belong. I talk to others that feel like they don't belong with God either. They, they don't have a place. They have no value, no purpose, no meaning. They don't fit in. And one of the benefits of walking in the light as he is in the light is that we are supposed to be able to have fellowship with other believers, real belonging. And lastly, we have the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, right? Forgiven and cleansed from all of our sins. This is a pretty big benefit right here. Uh, Pastor Chris, he mentioned it last week. Uh, we talk about it at the Set Free too, and I talk about the, uh, the benefits of the cross. And there I always say, if all we had was the one benefit, would it still be worth your life to follow Jesus? If all you had was forgiveness of sins and eternal salvation, if all we had was the promise of the not yet, <laughs> would it still be worth following him? And the answer is a resounding, help me out here. Yeah, yes and amen. Okay, of course it is. But uh, I don't want to spend, so I don't want to spend more time on that. Uh, but it's important that we understand that because John is saying it's only as we walk with him walking in the light as he is in the light, that we can actually have the forgiveness and cleansing from all of our sins and be declared righteous. Okay? So now in the next three verses, he's going to describe, so he's talked about now walking in the light. The way we get this invitation into true fellowship and joy is by walking in the light. And now, John, over the next three verses, he's going to actually define for us what walking in the light looks like as opposed to walking in darkness. Right? Because he doesn't want to leave us hanging, coming up with our own conclusions, because our own conclusions will be wrong. Our own conclusions will leave us feeling condemnation and shame. That's exactly what they'll do. So John wants to make sure that we don't actually have that. So he begins to describe for us what it looks like, okay? So the first verse, or the first section here is the uh, saying we have no sin category. Now this is a category that, I mean, we obviously know we have sinned, but we feel like the goal on this earth is to get to a place where we can say we have no sin. We feel like that's an obtainable goal. That's a very common uh, idea amongst Christians in the West and that I talk to, and you can see it in how they behave. So let's look at the verse. John says, if we say we have no sin, what's that next part? We what? Deceive, Deceive ourselves. Huh. And the truth is not in us. That's interesting. That's interesting. You know, we all know that we have fallen short. We all know that we needed saving at some point, and that we still need saving. But at some point in our walks, again, we get to a place where we feel like the goal is to be able to say, I have no sin. So it's almost like it's an accolade, like something to be proud of. If you can go to cell and, you know, you guys get into confession and pray, and you can have a bunch of weeks in a row where you, no, I don't have anything to confess. So when Scripture says our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked, accept you. 
right? We ask, you know, do you need prayer for anything? No, I'm good. You're good. You don't need prayer? Then you need to pray for me because I need what you have. Because if you ask me if I need prayer, I'll ask you how much time you have. And what I have split up into categories. I have my ministry category. That's a big category. And then I have my marriage category. That's also a big category. My kids category, my family category, my personal category, which is unfortunately the longest. And now that we have an addition of a kitten, we have, a, <laughs> we have an olive category as well. My wife is shaking her head no. Yeah. Oh, hey, it's my, own, it's my categories here, hon. Okay? Because there's prayer. I have needs in every area. I have needs in every area. You know what strength is? An illusion. You have perceived strengths. I teach this often to people, that your greatest weaknesses will always come out of your strengths. Because it's those areas where you don't depend on God. That's exactly what he's talking about here. Like, you think you have no sin, you have no need, no want, no lack. Remember what Isaiah said, we have all become like the one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like what? A polluted garment. That's what our righteous deeds are like to him. That's our ability to be good. That's our strengths. They're like a polluted garment. Okay? So, Christians that fit into this category, believers, they are actually still believers. So I'm not saying that they're not believers, but this is equal to walking in darkness. They are deceived And because they are deceived, they are robbed of true fellowship with God, true fellowship with others, and they are robbed of the fullness of joy that Jesus wants to give them. Right? And that's a terrible place to live in. We don't want to be there. So let's look at the second category, and I'm actually going to skip a verse ahead. I'm going to go to verse 10, not to verse 9. I know that's not linear, and if that bothers you, I'm very sorry, but I just couldn't wrap my mind around preaching it this way if I restructured it and went according to the verses. So now that I've said that, I hope you can forgive me. Let's go on to category number two which is three in John's order. This is the saying, we have not sinned category. You see the difference here? Saying I have no sin, you can still recognize at some point I had to turn, I had to repent and turn to Jesus. At one point I had sin, but now I'm so good that I don't actually have any sin anymore. Here he's talking about, I have not sinned. It's a different level. It's actually saying, I actually have no need. I've never recognized my need for Jesus. In this category, you can actually have people who believe in Jesus just don't actually see that they have anything bad that they need to work on in their lives, okay? If we say we have not sinned, look what John says about this category. If we say we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar, and his word is not in us. This is by far the worst category to be in. What a shame to believe in Jesus, but to never realize that the only way to be saved is to believe and repent Repentance is necessary for salvation. In this category, they never actually receive, they they may believe, but there's no repentance, meaning there is no salvation. So this is actually likened to be the worst category to be in, and I call it the walking in total darkness. You are no longer just self-deceived. You've actually made God a liar, and His Word is not in you. You are not even saved. So if that's you here today, I just pray in Jesus' name right now that God would open up your eyes to see your need for him because it is great. And you may have put up walls to protect yourself because you're afraid of dealing with hurt in your life, but I pray today that in his mercy he would open up, those, open up your eyes to see it so that you too can repent and be saved. That just means turning your heart to him. So let's look at the third category. 
Because hopefully now we've talked about two different levels of walking in darkness. One is you're a Christian but deceived. And the other one is you're a, you believe but you actually don't even, you're not even saved. You're in that much darkness. Now the third category now is going to be the good category. How many people here are proud confessing sinners? Like, I, I don't want to be this guy. I don't want to be the guy that has something to confess every time I go into prayer. I don't want to look weak. Let's see what John says about this. And this is probably the verse that we're most familiar with because of the set free. If we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is what John likens to walking in the light as he is in the light. A confessing sinner. This is good news. This is why in verse 7, he was saying, right, that there's this side of, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Right? If we're walking in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. He's talking about this category. He's saying, you know what it means? This is good news. He's saying, guys, guys, I want you to get this. I have experienced beyond salvation. Yes, yeah, that, that is awesome. That's coming. But now I've experienced something else, and it's amazing. I have experienced that when I can just admit that I'm weak and blind and destitute and naked and a sinner and broken, that I can have fellowship with the Father, and it is fullness of joy in His presence. He loves me just the way I am, weak and broken. John is very excited to share this with us. We should be excited at the simplicity of this truth. This is the gospel message. It is simple. And everybody qualifies. And if you don't think you do, <laughs> your eyes need to be opened. You qualify. You qualify if we can do this. So, now, before we start, you know, making a position here off of one verse, you know, are we sure this is what Jesus really wants us to be? Like, this is what he's going to honor, the confessing sinner? This is really something that, that is a good thing? And I'll bring the balance at the end of the message. Well, let's look at a couple of parables. So the first one, this is Jesus, and he's talking here. He also, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. <laughs> that sounds like category number one, doesn't it? They trusted in themselves that they're righteous. I have no sin. <laughs> yeah. All right, we'll see. Jesus had something to say about that then too. And he, and he treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, and a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. <laughs> God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. Now he even has the gall to point to someone else that's there. Some, uh, someone who's broken, right? To point and say, wow, at least I'm not like him. Wow, eh? Jesus must be so proud of him because he's so sinless. I fast twice a week. I give tithes off of all that I get. I mean, just the model citizen. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He couldn't even approach the altar because of the shame of his sin. He couldn't even lift his head. Maybe that's been you for years. And you want to give up, you want to run. It just doesn't even make sense. How could I ever be loved or accepted the way I am? That's exactly where this tax collector was. Lord, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. I can't even lift my head. I tell you, this is Jesus. This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I'll, I'll tell you something now that always goes hand in hand. You show me someone who is humble, and I will show you someone who knows they are weak. 
regular, a lifestyle of regular confession and humility, they go hand in hand together. They're inseparable. God says, I will honor the humble. I will exalt the humble. You won't be humble if you don't realize you're weak. You won't ever get there. You will be proud. It's sad that we can get to a place where when we actually search, you know, is there anything to confess? Well, I don't really have an issue. You know, my husband does or my wife does. That's your issue, your spouse, or your kids. That's all we have. Jesus said, the humble I will exalt. You want that fullness of joy? You want to be exalted into his presence? You're that one that came into the back, you know, snuck in through the door. You're sitting at the back end of the table. You wish Jesus would invite you to the front. He says, just admit that you're weak. And I'll exalt you. This is Jesus teaching on justification. Who does he justify? The confessing sinner. One of the Pharisees is the next one. Asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who this woman was. She is touching him. She's a sinner. Again, the judgment. I was reading in Matthew again today, right? Why do you worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you can't see past the log in your own? You think you're better? I know a lot of you don't, and some of us do, but Jesus is bringing the balance. He's saying we can all meet on this common weakness. Look at this, though. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, yeah, we went through there, and Jesus answering him said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain many lender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. The sinner You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are what? Many are forgiven, for she loved much. Again, I say, you've been in the same bondage. You've been broken for years. You feel like there's just almost no point in trying. You're not, it doesn't feel like you're moving forward. God, I love you. I love you. I love you. But I obviously don't because look what I do. And Jesus said, if you come to him in tears, even with your head down, it's not about your actions. He said, you are your sins. Look at that last part. Your sins are forgiven. Just like that. Walking in the light as he is in the light. This is an incredible truth. Okay? Another part of this whole thing, remember, so walking in the light, it's the forgiveness, cleansing of sins. We also talked about the true fellowship with other believers. This is belonging. So I want to make a point on this. True belonging, true fellowship happens best when we build on a foundation of weakness rather than strength. Now that's a shock to some of us, especially in the West where most of our relationships are built on common strengths. 
So you come to cell, and what do you want to say? I mean, you might even miss cell if you haven't done your devotions, right? But if you've been doing your devotions, praying regularly, showed up to church, did your, all your stuff right, if you were good this week, right? Now I'm pumped to go to, to cell and share with everyone how I'm doing, right? You know, if we're, making, if we're making good money, if we're doing good, if we're successful, if our kids are good, they're well-behaved, if our house is nice, if our fill-in-the-blank, then we want to be around people. If not, right, not so much. Why? Because we have built our relationships on an insecure foundation of strengths, which are an illusion. So you're left with comparison, constant comparison. You're left with having to hide behind walls to not be able to show up when you have a bad day or when you're weak or when you're struggling. You have to hide. You don't build strong, loving relationships that way, ever. It doesn't work. But on the flip side, you come on common weakness. And it is amazing because the very fact that we're here, if it's reciprocal, that's the important part, because I know you might say, I've told people, I've let them in, and I was judged and it hurt. And if that's you, I'm sorry. That's not the way it's supposed to be, especially in the church. It's supposed to be reciprocal. When we come together and we share common weaknesses together, it allows us to take the mask off and just be me. You know what the wonderful thing about that is? When I can just be me, I can actually truly begin to build strong relationships within the body. When you have true fellowship with one another in the body, now together with Jesus as Lord, we can walk like the body of Christ and actually begin to take territory and actually begin to find freedom and actually begin to move forward in our lives. But it doesn't work if we're doing it on our own. You know, we've experienced this at the Set Free for years, and I used to think it was like a... Like a, uh, <laughs> a finger of God type of miracle, right? So every time I would run a set free, I've run most of the ones here now, and uh, I would run a set free, and then we get the evaluations after, and I would read them, and then people would start talking about the triads and the pairings. So they would talk about how amazing the triads and the pairings were, and I can't believe I had the perfect girls, the perfect guys, the relationships we formed were so tight, I didn't expect, I thought it was going to be terrible, and then it turned out wonderful, and so on and so forth. It's always the same. And I just thought, wow, God, you're amazing, and he is amazing but I just didn't understand what he was doing yet, right? And so when it came time, our, our retreats kept growing, and eventually it was taking up countless staff hours to do all the pairings and trios. We used to actually kind of huh, essentially pull them out of a hat. But we'd pray and then just start trying to put people together. Well, how do you know? You, know, you don't know where everyone's from. So finally I got to a place where I said, guys, I think we're going to cancel the whole pairing time and instead just have people find each other. And we were worried because what happens? Like, we have something good going. What happens if we lose that good element? And I said, well, if the Holy Spirit can work through us essentially pulling, you know, casting lots, you know, I'm pretty sure he can work through people just finding each other. And I said, if it doesn't work, they found each other, so they can't blame us. So I figured it was a safe... <laughs> I'm telling you that now because it still works, okay? I never uh, said that publicly before. So just, yeah, don't... Uh, Anyways, so, lo and behold, we did the next retreat. I had them find each other, and guess what? Same thing happened. We got the evaluations. Oh, the triads were perfect. I can't believe who I was with. The relationships I formed so tight. We've never had anyone breach confidentiality. Why is that? People gossip all the time and break confidentiality. What's different about the set free? I'll tell you what's different, is we're following Scripture. You want to have true fellowship? You want to create strong bonds, strong attachment? Meet on common weakness. See, the way the Holy Spirit has structured the set free, it's actually set up perfectly to create strong bonds. We come together on common weakness, not strength, and we just share together. We share together. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. And then we instruct each other, don't fix, 
Don't fix the other person. Just extend them grace and pray. That's what Scripture teaches. That's actually the pathway to true fellowship and belonging. That's the pathway. We're finding this exact same thing happening in seven pillars, eight pillars, and betrayal and beyond groups. Same thing. I'm in one. I'm leading one. It's a test group. We're a little bit further ahead, and so we've had a chance to really get to know each other. And it's amazing how when you have 12 guys in ours that know all my secrets, they know everything about me. It is amazing the unity and the belonging that I feel in that group. The acceptance, the love, I get strength from it. It's wonderful. And if you're in one of those groups and you haven't fully let that mask off yet, I encourage you, when you're ready, let it off and experience what Scriptures say is true. Fullness of joy, fellowship with one another. It'll come. It'll come. All right, so this last category, walking in the light. Is that a good deal or what? What do you guys think? So you want to walk in the light as He is in light? You want to have true fellowship with God, fellowship with one another? You want to have fullness of joy? He says, walk in the light. You say, okay, I can't do that. I can't walk in light like God is in light. He says, that's okay. You actually, all you have to be is a confessing sinner. Can you do that? Can you admit that you're broken, that you're weak, that you're sinful, that you're deceitful and desperately wicked? He says, that's your only qualification. That's a good deal. Is that not a good deal? This is why John, I, I'm just assuming, he must have been shaking as he was writing this down. Like, you know, he would have to stop. This is how I was in message prep too. You stop, and I'm listening to worship music. I'm like, the worship is actually getting distracting because I'm so excited. The more I go into this, the more you're minding it, you're like, this is too good to be true. Like, how can we get such a good deal here on this earth? I get the eternal one. That was already good enough. And now you're saying it gets even better. And I don't even have to be strong to get there. So how is this possible? Because Jesus is our righteousness. That's why he can say that we are in the light as he is in the light, if we can but admit that we're just sinners. But before I get to this point here, I actually have to cover just a tiny little bit of a, you know, something that John had to cover too, because in verse 1, he's actually going to correct an imbalance because he's just given you the good news that you want true fellowship with God, you want true fellowship with one another, you want real joy, then you have to be a sinner. So we're like, that's great, I qualify. And some might go a little bit too far and say, hey, I can keep doing that, right? I could be a sinner for the rest of my life. This is a great goal, I'm good at sin. So now John is gonna say, whoa, 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 okay? And this is what we're gonna get at here. My little children, look at how he's writing to us. We're just kids, God's kids. I'm writing these things to you, so what? so that you may not sin. He's saying, I'm not giving you a license now to just sin whenever you want. That's not the goal. The goal is still holiness and righteousness and purity. That is still the goal. And I'm not going to get into it today because I don't have time to preach the whole of 1 John, but I'm actually going to get into that. He talks lots about how we actually walk into freedom. I'm getting that into a different message, right? But, that's, so, but beginning here, he just wants to make sure we don't get imbalanced in this. He says, you have to get to a place where you realize that you're always going to be a sinner and you're always going to have something to confess because you are desperately wicked, deceitful. It's part of your nature. That said, I'm not telling you to stay in sin. You're still supposed to set your goal on Jesus and heaven. So then he gives this caveat. But if anyone does sin, because he knows we will, right? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You say grace has run out for me because I've been stuck here too long. It is not about you. 
It's not about your strength. It's about Jesus Christ, the righteous, and what he already did for you and for me. But if anyone does sin, he doesn't put a limit on that. He says, we have an advocate with the Father. That is an incredible truth. Oh, have I wept preparing this message over this. I just think, Lord, it's too good to be true. That you could look past all the junk and you could see something in me that was worth saving. It's incredible. That you could continue walking with me even as I'm still broken. That makes, you, know, you want motivation to fight sin in your life? You want motivation to get up in the morning? You get this truth in your heart. You're going to find you're saying no to temptation for an entirely different reason. It's going to lose its tug in your life, but it's a process of getting there. You have to experience this. And that's what John wants for us. Think of it like this, okay? i got to hurry up here, so I'm going to run out of time because I'm getting choked up. All right. <clears throat> We're good. Little kids when they're born, they're babies, okay? I, have, I had four babies. One of them's here today. Well, all of our babies, when we got them, they were broken. They couldn't walk. They couldn't talk. They couldn't even wipe their own butts. <laughs> I mean, I had to wipe their butts. And by me saying I had to wipe my, their butts, I'm saying my wife <laughs> had to wipe their butts. <laughs> but we're together. The two have become one, so I can say that with integrity, <laughs> that I had to wipe their butts. <laughs> I'm exiting the stage that way. <laughs> yeah, she's dotting around. I love her. Anyways, so they were broken. Now, obviously, you're saying, that's not broken, okay? That's not broken. They're just immature. They're just babies, right? So they, they just have lack. They're not, they're not able to do what I'm doing. You know, if you actually stop and think about it, think about the miracle of me standing up here right now. I'm not just trying to say because I'm, you know, a little bit strange. But actually, it's a miracle that I can stand. Think of everything that's involved with motor skills and my brain and my body for me to actually be standing here. I have a clicker. I've been clicking my own PowerPoints, going back and forth. I have notes here that I wrote. I'm following them kind of, sort of, and kind of jumping ahead and going back and forth. I'm watching that PowerPoint. I'm watching you guys. I'm listening to the Holy Spirit. I'm moving around. You think of everything that's actually at play right now going on up here on the stage. It's a miracle. Life's a miracle, isn't it? We should never lose the wonder of that, that life is a miracle. It is. It's a gift. And I think it's a gift to stand up here. But would it be, would it be fair for me to expect one of my babies to just get up here and do what I'm doing? Would that even make sense? You would say, man, you are off your rocker. Babies can't do that. Like, you, they can't even sit or wipe their butts, let alone stand up there on a stage and do all of that what you're talking about. So we understand babies have lack. They lack strength and ability, and they lack knowledge. Now, would it be enough just to give them knowledge and them to suddenly get up here and do what I'm doing? Could you just tell them, well, you just get up and walk, and, right? Like you were made to walk, so then you just get up and walk, and then you get up and speak, and you have to get up and listen and understand what I'm saying because you actually haven't learned language yet. Well, then you just understand my language. Now, you would say, that, that is ridiculous, that not, there is nothing in life where people learn like that. You always have to practice to get strength and ability, and I'll talk more about that in the, in the next time I speak. Okay? Now, this is the same thing that happens when we're born into this world with a sin nature. Now, on the one hand, you might say, okay, you're talking about immaturity, and now you're talking about sin. Are you saying sin and immaturity are the same thing? <laughs> no. And yes. 
They're not the same thing because Jesus didn't have to die for immaturity, right? That's something we just learn and we grow in, right? We didn't have, he didn't, his blood didn't cover our sins, you know, before the fall. People didn't, they still have to learn to do things. That's okay to have to learn to do things. Sin is different, but that's precisely, he understands sin is different. That's precisely why he, he was the propitiation for our sins. Look at this next verse here. He is the propitiation for our sins. He already took the wrath that was on us, on his shoulders, paid the price, so he could cover that side of it. But now he says to us, just knowledge alone isn't enough to make you holy. You lack the strength and ability to be holy. You were born with a weakness. You were born broken with a sin nature. That's this life. I'm not saying there's no freedom to be had. I'll talk about that at another time. There is freedom to be had. But that's our life. We'll always have a sin nature here. So he says, I'll give you knowledge. We have the word. But then there's something else we have to do. We have to actually grow in strength. And we actually have to grow in ability. And that's actually a process. So I'm going to wrap it up here because I'm almost out of time. <sighs> he is the propitiation for our sins, not only for ours, but, for the, but also for the whole world. Isn't that incredible? Like, think of the kind of love that is. Do you ever think love like that? If he would be willing to be the propitiation, he's taking the wrath. Think, the, the gateway to hell, it says, the, the, you know, the pathway to heaven is narrow. The highway to hell is wide for the many that choose the easy path. So think, much of the wrath that he bore for us, he actually bore for people that will never actually receive it. Is that not crazy? If he was willing to take their wrath, he, he did that for them, right? If he was willing to take some of that now, on, I mean, on his shoulders, think about that. Does grace run out? Does love run out? He doesn't change. He's not like us. He's not broken like us. Anyhow, if you can believe in Jesus, admit you're a sinner, admit you're unable to do good on your own, confess this to God and other believers. If you can do that, he promises, number one, eternal life. That's the not yet. Number two, fellowship with him. That's now. Now, now. Don't miss out. That's now. Fellowship with each other. That's now. Fullness of joy, forgiveness of sins, and how can we be in the light as he is in the light? Because we are clothed with Christ's righteousness. Now. That is good news. That is very good news. And that should excite us. So, I want to put the weekly challenge up here quickly. I'll skip that last. So you can take pictures of it. Just, you can read through the rest of it after. But this is the deal, okay? This is the deal for how you're going to do this in cells and with other people. Because we've got to get better at dealing with weakness. I hear this. I've heard this multiple times even recently where people have had needed prayer, needed help, confessed the sin, and because others were afraid they didn't know how to fix them, they, were, they turned away. They were turned away. In our church, we're getting better at this, by the way. We're getting better and better and better. But let me tell you, please, someone confesses a weakness, no fixing, no judging, ever, period, ever. This is what you do. Extend grace, love, and pray. That's it. You don't have to fix anyone. It's not on you. That's on Jesus. You just pray. Well, yeah, but what if they keep having the same problem in my cell? Who cares? We're all going to have problems until the day we die. So why does it matter what it is? Extend grace, extend love, and pray. That's all we have to do. Isn't that a good deal? And then, on the flip side, now you turn and share your weaknesses. So, let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, this is good news. We're excited. I'm excited. I hope everyone else is just as excited as me. 
So Lord, whether, whether we are that first category where we have kind of figured that having no sin, no need, no want, you know, not having anything to need prayer for or confess, we figured that that was obtainable here on this earth. We now realize that we are deceived. So please, Lord, we're asking that you would open up our eyes to our great need for you. And Lord, on the flip side, I know many in here because I've talked to them, they're walking around, they cannot lift their hands in worship, they cannot lift their heads because they feel so much shame over their sin. Today, Lord, would you lift up their heads and show them that you are smiling and you are full of joy and you are glad to be with them. You love them just the way you are, just the way they are. Lord, would you fill us with your spirit? Would you teach us as a church to be a church that is able to share in each other's weaknesses and walk strongly together in word and truth? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.